All right, good morning. I hope everybody is doing well. I want to welcome those of you joining us online or maybe from one of our campuses. Glad we can all be together. Hey, before we jump in, I do want to let you know about something we're doing next week across all of our campuses. At the beginning of every month, we do something called Next Steps. Next Steps is a place where you can get to know us a little bit, we can get to know you, and we can help you get connected here at the church so that Seacoast feels more like a family, not just a church you attend. So you're all invited. If you'd like to attend, like I said, it'll happen across all of our campuses next week. And because we are all family, let me show you what Dana and I have been up to the last few weeks. Many of you know that Dana and I have two kids, Matthew and Emma, and our youngest, Emma, had a big day in January. Our little Emma went from this to this. That's a, that's a little too much awe for me right now. <laughs> it's still kind of raw. <laughs> Our little girl got married. <laughs> Woo. This didn't happen in the last service. <clears throat> Not sure what that means. You guys could be in for a ride. <laughs> it was a whole big day for our family. It's a great time. We're so grateful to have added a wonderful son-in-law, man, Woo. to the family. <laughs> People tell you it goes by fast and you don't believe them, but it is true. And sometimes it feels like you know, the changes come slowly, but oftentimes it feels like the changes are just lightning fast. Does anyone remember the pandemic? Like in the span of just a few days, it feels like the whole world changed. Everything was different. And I don't know if you know this, but we have entered a new pandemic. And this one's a bit more subtle, but it's definitely here to stay and it's definitely taking over. I'm talking about this. Does anyone else agree this has gotten out of control? Yes. Right. Now, I, I don't know if you know, like, I didn't realize we were in a pandemic against dehydration, but clearly our ladies knew, and they are here for the fight. And, I, and I'd, I mean, how long seriously is it between water sources that you need this metal bucket with a straw? I mean, this is a little out of control. Just my opinion. Maybe you don't feel that way. Now, we're going to talk about this more later, but I've always believed that you can learn a lot about what's going on if you just pay attention to people's behavior, and that's what we're going to do today. Last week, we kicked off a brand new series about Joseph and what we can learn from his life, and we're going to continue that today. I don't know if you know this, but more than 25% of the book of Genesis is about Joseph. So clearly God has some things he wants us to learn from Joseph's life. And some of you may know a little about Joseph, some of you may not. So let me offer some backstory to help. Joseph was born about 1500 years before Jesus in what is today modern day Iraq. His father was Jacob. His mother was Rachel, who happened to be Jacob's favorite wife. And that brings us to the first problem here in the story. Jacob had multiple wives. Now, some would argue that the Bible actually promotes polygamy, which I don't believe is true. I think that's just lazy interpretive work. But how many of you would agree that, that if someone had shown you the outcome of your choices before you made those choices, you might have made different choices? Anyone agree with that? That's what the biblical writers are often doing. 
They're showing us what will happen if we make certain choices. They're showing us how to live in freedom by showing us what it looks like to live in bondage. So throughout much of the Bible, God is showing us the mess we can create when we choose to do it our way rather than his way. So yeah, there are a lot of people in the Bible who had multiple wives, but that does not mean the Bible is promoting polygamy. The Bible is actually showing us the problem with it. But here's Joseph's father, Jacob, who happened to have multiple, multiple wives, and his family suffered the consequences of that decision. Joseph's mother was Rachel, who happened to be Jacob's favorite wife, making Jacob, excuse me, Joseph his favorite son. Jacob had 11 other sons, and they all knew that Joseph was his favorite, and they resented him for it. And Jacob wasn't even subtle about it. In, in chapter 37, we read this. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, and he made an ornate robe for him. This was the coat of many colors that you've heard so much about. The literal translation here in Hebrew is that it was a coat of long sleeves, meaning it extended all the way to his palms and all the way to the soles of his feet. And a coat like that during that time, it was, a, it was a symbol of status and power. It meant that you were above manual labor. And because Jacob's sons were all shepherds, a lot of times Joseph found himself exempt from some of that work, which only made his brothers hate him more. Now, eventually, all of this reaches a boiling point, and his brothers decide to kill him. But then they thought better of it and said, no, let's sell him instead. We can at least profit from the whole thing. So Joseph is sold into slavery to a man named Potiphar. And Potiphar liked Joseph, liked him so much that he put him in charge of his whole estate. But Potiphar's wife also liked Joseph, and she propositioned him sexually. And when Joseph turned her down, she went and told her husband that he tried to take advantage of her. So Potiphar had no choice, had him thrown in prison. And in prison, Joseph would meet a couple of prisoners and interpret dreams for them. And when the Pharaoh of Egypt later had a dream he couldn't interpret, he heard about Joseph. And so he had him brought to his palace. And here's what the text tells us. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it. But I've heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Well, I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. So the Pharaoh describes his dream, and Joseph interpreted that it meant there would be a famine that would fall upon the whole land. Pharaoh was pleased that someone knew what it meant, and he said, since God has made all this is known, known to you, there is, and there's no one so discerning and wise as you, you shall be in charge of my palace. All the people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. So now Joseph is second in charge of everything in Egypt, and he went to every town to get them to store up grain ahead of the coming famine. And seven years later, the famine came, causing his brothers and eventually his, fathers, his father to end up in Egypt because it was the only place they could find food. But throughout Joseph's life, we see this strange paradox of blessing and adversity, blessing and adversity, and that's what I want to talk about today, because sometimes we can encounter adversity in our lives, and sometimes we create adversity in our lives, but always, God always uses the adversity in our lives. 
And that's our outline for today. If you want to follow along, you can do that on the Seacoast app. But let's look at that first one. Sometimes we encounter adversity in our lives. Anybody believe that? We all know it's true. It happens to all of us. A friend of mine reminded me one time about the quote, what doesn't kill us makes us stronger. Then he reminded me also, but let's not forget it almost kills you. And it's true. And this is how Joseph felt. This was true of him. The adversity he experienced nearly killed him twice. And that's how adversity can feel in our lives as well, especially when it's the kind of adversity that's imposed upon us by others. And Joseph experienced that at the hands of his brothers. When Jacob sent Joseph to look for his brothers, the text tells us, so Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him from a distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Now, they did eventually pivot from that plan, deciding not to kill him, but to sell him. Not out of mercy, they just wanted to profit from it. But before they did, they stripped him of the coat he was given, and they used that to make up a story about him being killed by a wild animal, and that's what they told their father, Jacob. So Jacob lived for years, believing that his son had been killed. So we see here how Joseph encountered adversity. He was taken advantage of by his own brothers. And unfortunately, that's the reality for a lot of people. The people we should be able to trust most in our lives end up becoming the ones who take advantage of us. Sometimes even to the point that they victimize us. We're never told in the text, but I have to wonder how many times did Joseph think to himself, what's the point? Why bother? I mean, my own family has betrayed me. It does seem clear from some of his later actions that Joseph battled with despair, maybe even some depression, because there was some internal conflict brewing in him that he couldn't figure out how to reconcile. And that's where a lot of us end up because of the adversity we face. But we need to remember that just like Joseph, that's not where our story ends. Paul understood this. And he wrote about it saying, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know they will help us develop endurance and endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment. We need to remember that while adversity may be part of the journey God has for us, it's almost never the destination God has for us. Now, there's something else that's interesting here in chapter 37 that we need to notice, and it's that we're told that Joseph went to find his brothers near Dothan, which in Hebrew means two wells or two cisterns, which is not all that surprising. In this day, wells were a very critical water source, but there's only one other place where in scripture where there's a reference to two cisterns, and it comes from the book of Jeremiah, where God says this about his people. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And this highlights a pattern for us of how quickly we can abandon the God who made us. Rather than choosing to live in the freedom that he promises, we try to make our own freedom. 
We dig our own cisterns instead of drawing living water from God himself. And in the next verse, Jeremiah asks a question that shows us what turning away from God produces in our lives. He asks, why has Israel become a slave? And the implication here is, why has Israel chosen to become a slave? We have to remember that our choice to turn away from God, while it may always begin in an effort to find freedom, it always ends with us in bondage. And in that bondage, the darkness can be so dark that we cannot see the chains that hold us. What Jeremiah is saying to us is that when we choose our own well, rather than the living water of God himself, it's only a matter of time before we are enslaved by our choices. It's only a matter of time before our choices hurt us and those around us. And here at Dothan, a city whose name means two wells, Joseph's brothers chose the wrong well. They chose their way over God's way. They chose to take advantage of their brother rather than protect him. And their brother became enslaved by their choice. And they had to go back to their father enslaved by a secret they would carry for years. So many times we face adversity in our lives because of others' choices. Because of the choices they make, adversity lands in our lives. It's a difficult reality, but we all have to accept it. But as we will see, God never wastes the adversity we experience. So sometimes we encounter adversity in our lives, and sometimes we create adversity in our lives. Anybody know that's true? Sometimes the adversity we face isn't because of the choices of others. It's because of our own choices. Now let's go back to the pandemic for a minute. I don't know if you remember, but when everything locked down, only essential businesses were open. You know, things like hospitals and pharmacies and grocery stores. But I don't know if you know, people did not stop getting married during the pandemic. In fact, they were more ready than ever to get ready to get married during the pandemic. And so I had a bunch of weddings lined up. And after a couple of months of being locked down, I needed a haircut from some of the, for some of those weddings. And, and I made the mistake of thinking... How hard can it be? I mean, I cut my own grass. I always edge the yard and it looks really nice. What could go wrong? So I got out the clippers and decided to give it a go. And you ever have that voice in the back of your head sometimes going, I think we're about to make a mistake. I think this is going to go badly. But then you do it anyway. That's what was happening here. And one thing you need to know about using clippers to cut your hair is you need to make sure you have the right guard on there because guards determine the length of the hair. Because if you don't do that, you can end up like this. That was my first and only attempt at cutting my hair. Now, keep in mind that I started this whole makeover project because I had a wedding coming up in two days. So I had to call a friend who was a professional and get her to fix my mistake. Needless to say, I had some very short hair for that wedding. But how many of you know that sometimes we can create our own adversity through our own bad choices? And that was also true for Joseph. If we look at what Joseph's brothers did to him, 
It might seem like their response came out of nowhere, but there's a backstory here. Remember in chapter 37, we're told now Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other sons. And, and through Jacob's life as a father, God is showing us the dangers of favoritism in families. And you might think that's not a big deal today. You know, it doesn't really happen. But keep in mind, this is one of the very first blended families. You got one guy with multiple wives, children with all of them. And so God is showing us that how in scenarios like this, it can come with the temptation to treat some people in your family differently than others in your family. You might be tempted to treat your biological children differently than you treat your non-biological children. Maybe you don't do this in your home, though. Maybe you do it at your workplace. Maybe you show favoritism there, or, or maybe you do it in your neighborhood, or maybe you even do it in your church. The point is that the dangers of favoritism exist in a lot of different arenas. Sometimes you may be tempted to treat somebody differently based on what you think they can do for you. Sometimes it might be because of what you think they can't do for you. And when that happens, people begin to feel like their value and worth is based on how people treat them. Like Jacob did with his sons, sometimes we make the mistake of loving others based on how we value them when we need to love others based on how God values them. Now, imagine how different our world would be if we, the church, God's church, did that really well. Things would be so different. How many of you remember this? I used this a couple of years ago in a message. Oddly enough, it was a message on relationships. I'm not sure I thought that part through. <laughs> but I told you, and I misled you, forgive me, that this bat had been signed by Babe Ruth. I even brought it out with like white gloves. I sold the whole thing very well. But for you baseball fans out there, you knew, you knew this bat hadn't been signed by Babe Ruth. I mean, first of all, I don't even, I think it's a little league bat. I don't even think it's regulation size. We got this bat at a thrift store. So it actually has very little value. But the point was to have you consider how the value of this bat would change if Babe Ruth had signed it that it would be significantly more valuable based on whose name is on it. Its value would change based on the name it bears. And the same applies to us. Our value does not come from how people treat or mistreat us. Our value comes from the name we bear. It comes from whose name is on us. And in Genesis 1, we're reminded right out of the gate, God tells us, so God created mankind in the image of God. He created them in his own image, in the image of God. He created them male and female. He created them. All of mankind bears the image of the God who made them. But Joseph's father lost sight of this. He valued his other sons less than Joseph. And in this, he, he treated his son with preferential treatment and favoritism in the family, causing two things he would later regret. First, it caused his brothers to resent him, which made Joseph insecure within his own family system. And second, it caused Joseph to become proud 
We see both in chapter 37. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him, Joseph, and could not speak a kind word to him. A few verses later, we read about a dream Joseph had about some sheaves of grain. And his sheaves stood taller than all of his brother's sheaves, meaning they would later bow down to him, which in Hebrew culture was unheard of. There was something called the law of primogeniture, which meant that the oldest son inherited all of the power and the privilege and the responsibility of making sure the family line continued. It was never the younger. But here was Joseph telling all of his older brothers that they were going to bow down to him. The text says, His brother said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had a second dream with the same meaning, and he shared that one with his brothers again and his father this time. And that one went over just as well. His father said to him, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and her brothers actually come and bow down on the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Now, all of this is important because as much as Joseph encountered some adversity in his life because of the decisions of his brothers, he also created some of his own adversity. You see, Joseph was insecure about how his brothers felt towards him, and that led him to do some things to try to make himself look better in their eyes so they wouldn't hate him as much. But that backfired and then culminated with them deciding to sell him into slavery. Now, to be fair, Joseph actually had those dreams, and they actually pointed to events in the future when they would be subject to him. But Joseph had to know that sharing this with his brothers who were already jealous of him would be incredibly offensive. My wife, Dana, is often a great source of wisdom in my life. And I remember her telling me something that she had learned one time, and I've never forgotten it. She said, when she is contemplating sharing something with somebody that it might be hard for them to hear, she asks herself three questions. Does this need to be said? Does this need to be said now? And does this need to be said by me? You know, sometimes there's information that might not be helpful. You may just need to keep that to yourself. Sometimes there's information that people might not be ready for, and you may need to wait until a later time. And sometimes there's information you haven't earned the right to say, and you need to work on the relationship first. If Joseph had just asked himself one of these questions, he might have saved himself from some of the adversity he created. But the point for us to remember here is that while we may encounter adversity because of others' decisions, we sometimes encounter adversity or sometimes create adversity because of our own decisions. And this was true for Joseph. He had allowed his insecurity, his pride, and his privilege to affect how he interacted with his brothers. Now, that in no way excuses what they did. They are entirely responsible for their choices, but it does help to explain why they held so much contempt for him. So sometimes we encounter adversity in our lives. Sometimes we create adversity in our lives, but God always uses the adversity in our lives. So Joseph gets himself thrown into this pit by his brothers. And then he's brought to Potiphar's house. 
And then he was put into prison. And then from prison, he goes to Pharaoh's house. And after interpreting a dream for Pharaoh, he was put in charge of all of Egypt. This was his journey from the pit to the palace. But what I want us to see here is how God uses the adversity in Joseph's life. We can all agree. Joseph went through some pretty terrible stuff. No argument about that. But it is interesting how God used so many bad decisions to bring about a good outcome. I mean, this is years worth of bad decisions. And yet God uses them to bring about good outcomes. So good that he would save nations of people through them. When this famine came, Joseph's brothers packed up and left for Israel and went to buy food. When they arrived, Joseph recognized them, but they didn't recognize him. Now, this is not that weird. It might sound weird, but it's not. Primarily, this was because Hebrew men and Egyptian men looked very different from one another. Hebrew men had long beards, long robes. Egyptian men didn't really roll like that. And anytime he spoke to them, he used a translator. So they wouldn't know he knew Hebrew. And they hadn't seen him in over 10 years. So not that surprising. They didn't recognize him. But between chapters 42 and 50, we see several exchanges between Joseph and his brothers. And from the text, it would seem that Joseph is battling this internal conflict within himself. On the one hand, he's still very hurt by his brothers and what they did to him. But on the other, he's so glad to see his family again. In my world, we call this a trauma bond because Joseph is still bonded together with his abusers. He loves them. He desperately wants to be loved by them, but he's still so angry and hurt by the decisions they made. It's a strange tension for him to live in. For those of you who have ever experienced abuse or abandonment, you may relate to this, but we can all learn something from Joseph here. Now, remember this. We talked about it earlier. Uh, Now, I don't know what it is, but apparently these things will keep your water cold until Jesus comes back. (laughs) I don't know how that works, but whatever technology makes that possible, it also makes them pretty heavy. And so what happens if I just stand here like this all day holding this cup? I mean, for the first few minutes, maybe nothing, right? But after a few more minutes, my arm's probably going to begin to tingle. And after a few more minutes, my arm's probably going to begin to shake. After a few more minutes, my arm is probably going to become so numb, filled with so much pain, that I just drop it. And here's the point. The longer we hold on to our offenses the more they begin to hurt us. At some point, we have to accept what has happened to us and find our way through it. Now, that may require the help of a good friend. It may even require the help of a therapist. But the worst mistake we can make is to believe that we can just hold on to our offenses because it will continue to hurt us for as long as we do. So from chapters 42 to 44, Joseph is constantly bouncing between, I love you guys, it's so good to see you, and you guys are a bunch of jerks for throwing me in that pit. He doesn't know how to deal with any of this. 
And he's still, he doesn't say any of it because he's concealing his identity from them. But you can see from his actions that he's dealing with this conflict inside of himself. He's putting things into their bags that didn't belong to them because he wanted to see how they would respond. Are they the same guys that threw me in a pit so many years ago or have they changed at all? And this culminates in chapter 45 when he just can't take it anymore and he reveals himself to his brothers. The text tells us, then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Then Joseph went on to explain that they were only two years in to a seven year famine. And if they had not sold him into slavery, he would not have ended up in Potiphar's house. And if he hadn't ended up in Potiphar's house, he wouldn't have ended up in prison. And if he hadn't ended up in prison, he wouldn't have ended up in Pharaoh's house. And if he hadn't ended up in Pharaoh's house, he wouldn't have become the governor of Egypt. And if he hadn't become the governor of Egypt, he wouldn't have been able to store up grain ahead of the coming famine. And if he hadn't stored up grain ahead of the famine, Countless people would have died, including his own family. And if his family died, the line from which Jesus would be born would have ended 1,500 years before Bethlehem. And if Jesus isn't born in Bethlehem, there is no cross. And if there is no cross, there is no hope for you and me. So yes, we encounter adversity, and that's hard. And yes, we create adversity, and that's even harder sometimes. But we can see from the life of Joseph that God always uses the adversity we face to bring us into a freedom that might not exist without it. Joseph finally got the chance to reconnect with his family in the later part of Genesis. In chapter 50, we see Joseph put all of this into context for us. In a conversation with his brothers, he said, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide food for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. It's important that we notice here that through his adversity. Joseph gets the highest privilege of being a forerunner of something much bigger. Because where else do we see someone being abandoned and rejected by their brothers only to later provide salvation to them all? We see it in Jesus. We see it at the cross. You may not see it yet. You may not even believe it. 
But God is always using the adversity we face to bring us closer to himself. I recently spoke at our Upstate Marriage Conference, so shout out to our Irmo and Columbia, Greenville and Asheville Seacoast families. It was great to be with you guys. But I shared with them that when I was young, my parents divorced, which was hard for me as a child. I didn't really understand why it was happening, and I internalized a lot of that. And years later, both my parents remarried after the divorce, thankfully to wonderful people. And when my mom remarried, we moved into another house, a little closer to the beach. And not long after we moved, we had some neighbors move in next door to us. It was a younger family, a husband, a wife, two small kids. I didn't know it at the time, but they were Christians. And they ran, they ran a ministry called Young Life. And a couple of years later, it was through that couple that I would first hear about Jesus. And it's just so interesting to me how God used the greatest adversity I had ever experienced, my parents' divorce, to move me right next door. to someone he would later use to tell me about Jesus. And that would change my life forever. I don't know if you know, but God often uses the hardest things in our lives to bring about some of the best things in our lives. God loves to transform our greatest pain into our greatest victory. Because just like we see in Joseph's life, God always uses the adversity we face. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you that you never waste any of the adversity we experience. And your creativity and your redemptive power, you repurpose what was intended to harm us and turn it into something that sets us free. I pray that we would learn to trust you in those seasons. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen.